Welcome to Right to Refuge, a podcast brought to you by Solidarity, an international charity working for long-term change in the refugee crisis. This week, we're your hosts. I'm Emma Penny. I'm the Director of Outreach at Solidarity. And I'm Lexi. I'm Solidarity's Executive Director. We're really hoping that this podcast is going to make knowledge about the refugee crisis, um, not only the issues and problems faced, but also the solutions and the incredible organisations working to support asylum seekers more accessible to um, all of our listeners and to tackle some of those myths and questions that you maybe always wanted to ask or never been too sure where to find the answer. Our first episode today is going to be all about what is a refugee and what is legal aid. So I'm going to sort of be questioning our lovely executive director Lexi here about all of the terms that we hear in the refugee crisis that sometimes are a bit misleading and a bit confusing. So just to start off with, Lexi, what is a refugee? Yeah, so, you know, I think this is a really interesting and important question, because if this fundamental isn't grasped, I think it makes it really hard to have a reference point when discussing the refugee crisis in general. So according to the UNHCR, that's the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, they've defined a refugee um, as someone who is unable or unwilling to return to their country of origin owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. I think this is a really key definition because one of the central aspects of this is fear of persecution and persecution in itself refers to actually like a personal targeting by someone who wants to do you harm effectively. So um, the reasons within this definition are actually not relatively limited, right? Like there's not um, that many on the list and a few things are left out. Um, so that's the legal framework that we work under and that's where the basis of international law kind of comes from. Yeah, and I think definitely the issue with that definition for me straight away is that it doesn't even refer to like climate refugees. I mean, and that's something that's going to get worse and worse in the coming coming few years I mean we've already got people having to leave their country of origin because they just it's actually inhabitable inhabit it's uninhabitable now um Um, but it's an interesting point that you make about the concept of a climate refugee because under international law right now there's actually no such thing um you cannot be persecuted by climate like a drought is not actually personally trying to drive you out of your home so those who are forced to leave their homes as a result of climate change and natural disasters are actually not covered in this definition i think that's a very key thing to say but interestingly war and violence in itself doesn't necessarily always correlate to persecution either unless one is able to show that you are at risk within this conflict because of who you are or what you believe just being in a country where it is dangerous and there is a risk of harm is actually not necessarily one and the same and I think that's one of the things that's very complicated when applying for asylum. So we've just mentioned um, applying for asylum there and I think one of the things that is very often easy to confuse is the concept of an asylum seeker versus a refugee. So what are what are the fundamental differences between those two um, definitions? Right yeah great question. So when somebody is forced to flee their home, they 
they travel to another country and they arrive there they are effectively seeking asylum the hope is that that country will grant them protection under international law um, and at that point that individual would become a registered refugee so they have to go through an asylum application process and if they were to receive a positive decision that's when they become a registered refugee and they're able to remain in that country and go on to begin their new life there yeah and i think that's it's really that it's really hard because we don't get those definitions very clear and i think for a long time until i came to solidarity i kind of thought they were one and the same um and i think you know anyone can this basically says that anyone can be an asylum seeker you know um and i think it's much more i don't know maybe being able to be more empowering in that language because it's a person who is seeking asylum it's not like their entire definition um and i think especially we're talking a lot about migrants um and fundamentally there's not really seems to be a difference between what a migrant is and what an asylum seeker is yeah so that's a really interesting you've touched on a few points there so we talk about asylum seeker as you've said anyone can seek asylum that you can embark on that process um and that's a fundamental right basically we go back to the refugee convention definition someone who is unable or unwilling to return to their country of origin that is the definition of a refugee so in many ways again they can be slightly confused they could be treated as one and the same often and they are in the media because you've been forced to flee your home owing to persecution therefore you are a refugee but you may not have received a positive decision on your on your application and be therefore a registered refugee and then we have this term migrant which is used very commonly in the media and very often used when i think actually asylum seeker or refugee was the correct word but as you mentioned there is no definition of a migrant that is just literally somebody who has moved across an international border from one country to another and that might be because they're seeking asylum it might be it might also be because their baby is sick and they need medical treatment it might be because of natural disasters of drought of violence in their country political instability it might be a variety of different things that are not directly seeking asylum but i think the reason that the word migrant can be damaging when used to when you're actually intending to refer to refugees or asylum seekers is because the implication often when it's used is that these are people who have just willy-nilly like upped and come to uk or different countries in search of benefits income whatever and that's where we get into this very dangerous narrative of like people are coming to steal our jobs and we can't accommodate and there's no room and and i think actually if you if you go back to what a refugee and an asylum seeker is you know someone who's fleeing persecution and actually a registered refugee is deserving of protection under international law those arguments become totally invalid basically because it's not about whether you felt like it and it's not actually it's not relevant to, to discuss um the other kind of myths because that's the reality you have been granted international protection yeah and i think the sadly the term migrant has come to mean something quite negative and i mean if you think about it so um i spent a year living in jordan and realistically i was a migrant i traveled yeah, yeah. To jordan and i lived there but for some reason i was referred to as an expat and an expat has some kind of much more positive um you know it, it sounds you know it sounds fancier 
put it simply. This wonderful life decision that people yeah. have taken. Yeah. And, and actually, that's no different. Like, migrant is literally just someone moving from one place to another. And just the fact that it now means something so negative, like, no one would ever have called me a migrant to Jordan. Like, I'd never had that. <laughs> Um, and to be honest, if they did, I think everyone will be a bit like, whoa, that's a bit of a weird word to have used. So the fact that then we're using it with um, people who are, who are fleeing quite a desperate situation, it's, it's really problematic. Yeah, but it's a double-edged sword because I think certainly for us at Solidarity, we're very careful to always be very accurate in our terminology. We are talking about refugees and asylum seekers because that's our scope but that's actually not to say that i think that any other form of migration if anyone moves across the international border for a reason other than fleeing persecution that it's somehow unacceptable or you know i'm not i'm intolerant of that that's couldn't be further from the truth so in some ways there's something to be said for reclaiming a more positive outlook on migration and migrants in general people have traveled across the globe since the dawn of time really but for the purposes of understanding the refugee crisis, I think it's very key to always use accurate terminology because it reflects the circumstances under which somebody has, has travelled and fled. So we're talking a lot about um, the legal definitions for things, and there is a reason for that. It's because at Solidarity, we um, are really passionate about legal aid. So... Would you like to just summarise very nicely what is legal aid? Because I think this term is banded around a lot and everyone's a bit like, well, what is it? Well, I'll try to summarise it very nicely, um, but we'll see how I get on. So, um, in essence, any form of aid is basically support provided, often free of charge, to people who are in humanitarian need. And legal aid specifically is the provision of services like professional services from lawyers um, this is really important within the refugee crisis because an asylum seeker as we've discussed has to embark on this process and the asylum process is incredibly complex um, really very difficult to navigate without professional support it's quite bureaucratic um, and relies on this ability to demonstrate this well-founded fear of persecution which goes back to the definition that we discussed but for somebody who has had to flee their home, who has likely gone through one of the most traumatic journeys and experiences of their lives, that really is quite unimaginable for us, it may well be that the concept seems so obvious that they fled persecution, especially where people have fled from countries which we know have lots of violence and, and war and are generally dangerous places at the moment. So it may be that people don't say the right words to tick the boxes in their asylum process because they're unaware of what those loopholes are. It may also be that someone's incredibly traumatised and it's very difficult to relive. And it may finally just be because they were not informed of the process or their rights or the bureaucracy involved. So really, somebody who has a very legitimate fear of persecution in their country that they have fled from, it's not cut and dried that they're going to receive a positive decision on their application when they arrive in their hopefully host country not at all um, and so that's where legal aid comes in actually with lawyers you've got people who are advising you on your rights on the process helping you to clarify your story so that you understand how you need to present that so that it's accurately reflected assisting with appeals where you have been rejected but actually that is probably 
very incorrect. Um, assisting with other things like family reunification. So when one flees to Europe, um, very often it might be whole families who have to flee, but it's not um, a done deal that everyone will arrive together, travel together, or even end up in the same countries. And so it's really difficult actually to transfer an asylum application from one country to another. If you're in Greece and your mother, brother, whatever is in Germany, it's not a simply a case of actually I just want to apply in Germany. So that's why you really need expert advice. Um, and that's why we, we believe that's so valuable, something for us to support. And I think for me, the best thing about Legal Aid is that it is, it's a long-term sustainable thing to invest in. Um, you know, there are some amazing charities doing really great um, emergency work where, you know, providing healthcare, clothing, food, and that is so important. But I think what Legal Aid does is it, it means that people aren't having to stay in camps for years and years. You know, it's, it's investing people long term, it's empowering, because, you know, being in a camp is not a very pleasant experience. It is hard. And Legal Aid is is helping people get out of those situations so that they're in control of their own life and their own ability to feed themselves and get work and and to have those legal rights available to you there's not much you can do yeah that's right and so just to clarify for people listening when you arrive in a country greece let's use as an example it's where we work and it's receives one of the highest um numbers of, of refugees year on year as you arrive, you will be sent to an RIC, a reception identification centre, otherwise known as a camp. And that's effectively where you'll stay um, in one of these camps until you receive a decision as to your asylum application. And in many, many cases, this is months or years that you have to wait for this decision. It may be that long since you can just even embark on the process, even have your interview. Um, And then you've got to still wait for a decision. Now, the camps are not nice places. I think most people have established that. It is flooded tents. It is overcrowding. It is, I think, when we were looking at this in March 2020 in Moria, which was a camp in Lesbos, there was something like one tap between 1,300 people in some regions of this camp. And I'm not here to knock immediate aid because it is needed when you're living in these camps. You do need food, you do need clothing, you do need tents. But what that isn't doing is enabling somebody to leave the camp um, to start a fulfilling, productive life afterwards or to really improve their chances at all of being able to represent themselves appropriately in their asylum interview. Um, So we do view legal aid as a long-term solution because people who've received a positive decision, they then can go off and move out of the camps. Um, But also it's perhaps one of the most... Um, sustainable ways that we can provide aid like if camps were not to exist which frankly they don't need to in my opinion um, this seems like an amazing mismanagement um, then people would be able to receive the support that they needed in appropriate time frames have access to their rights have access to family reunification or appeals whatever else they needed and then there wouldn't really be such a crisis in this way Yeah, I think that's one of the things we always say, isn't it? It's a crisis of mismanagement. It doesn't need to be a crisis. Um, Yeah. And I think investment in legal aid is an investment in better management. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's worth saying that the NGOs providing legal aid, they're not the people that are providing the decisions on asylum stage. So that's still the Greek asylum service who are then going through and saying, this is a positive or negative decision. And that process 
in many ways is out of our control in the sense that we can't really speed that up or down but what we can do is is make sure that people are entering those interviews with adequate preparation so that the number of appeals that are then having to happen are reduced and also the pressure on the camps themselves the services that are needing to be provided to people that are then living there for months or years on end that will all reduce as well so that's what we talk about when we talk about long-term solutions I think another really important thing about legal aid is that it's non-partisan um, because I think there's a lot of discussion in me both from right-wing and left-wing press um, about you know who deserves these things and do they deserve it it's not a question of having to be compassionate obviously we want to be compassionate in this situation but also it's a legal inter, under international law it's a legal right to be able to seek asylum we're maintaining that right by making sure everyone has access to fair representation yeah i'm i really couldn't agree more i think that's one of the really key aspects actually the right to seek asylum is fundamental but just as fundamental is the right to legal aid and representation um at every level you know even in an american crime movie you know people have the right to a lawyer right and that holds up in the refugee crisis and so as you say it's it's just an at the end of the day it's an obligation under international law it's not really about whether you think you want or don't want or should or shouldn't that is what any person is entitled to um and so we want to make that happen yeah and i think it's it's putting the control back into um the person seeking asylum it's 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 just making sure that they have those rights and and you know we i think we very often we are very often take for granted what our legal rights get us um you know we can get healthcare when we need it we get education and all of that comes from having a legal right to exist and they're very often these legal rights get lost and, and i don't think we often appreciate how much they do for us um yeah no absolutely especially um in many ways in within the refugee crisis and within camps themselves legal aid teams also help people to get psychological ev evaluations and help them with medical advocacy also help to write reports and conduct research on living conditions um, so actually without that kind of professional body to hold everyone collectively accountable um, it would be really easy for even more of these fundamental rights to kind of fall by the wayside more than they already have yeah so obviously now coming to the work that we at solidarity do um, we do offer grants to NGOs providing legal aid, some incredible NGOs, um, which later on in the series we will be talking to um, some of them about their work. Um, but obviously a massive part of our work is raising awareness. Um, hopefully this podcast is going to be one of those things. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about what else we do um, to help with education? Yeah, so I think this is one of the most important things to me because I think it's one thing to do our very best to provide grants to legal aid NGOs, but it's quite another thing to have Europe as a whole come together in support of refugee rights. And that's really what needs to happen because all the time that it's a band-aid manoeuvre trying to, you know, just provide as much legal support as we can, all the time it's not really a guarantee or an expectation from the general public that, you know, everyone will have access to legal aid which is just simply not the case at the moment NGOs are so overwhelmed and oversubscribed we just can't have the impact that we want to have um, so it's really important for us that people do know about the refugee crisis they know 
about sustainable solutions to support refugees and asylum seekers and also are able to counteract some of the more damaging myths that we hear. So here at Solidarity, we raise awareness in many ways. We have currently 600 incredible student volunteers who are running events on campus, raising from, I don't know, club nights, dance for solidarity club nights, right the way through to conferences and panel discussions and seminars. Um, but we've also got these t-shirts, Solidarities, you know, TWE, um, which we sell. And they do two things. Of course, they raise um, funds for the, the grants that we award, but they also raise awareness. All of the artwork is either inspired by or the original artwork was created by refugees and asylum seekers and they really are a powerful awareness raising tool in their own right um, and also for me just a very moving display of unity that you are wearing something very visibly that you do support refugee rights and with so many people on campus wearing these t-shirts and standing together I think this is much a visual symbol of solidarity in the truest sense as it is an awareness raising tool to spark conversations. Yeah, I mean, I would just like to share that um, the current house share that I live in, in London, that very much came about because um, the advert in spare room, she was also wearing a solidarity. And so it, you know, it brings people together with like-minded people. Um, I think it's, it's incredible in both like awareness raising and, you know, being able to identify um, people. And so it, it has got this power now. I think that there are very few students around who don't know something about solidarity or know someone who's had you know been involved in solidarity so i think that's really really powerful and i think it just shows how great students are and what what we can all do when we all come together yeah it's true it's a real testament to the power of the student body when when we come together how much collective impact we can have but also i think we've had so much support from non-students also and i think it's just been wonderful to see um, it's a real sense of community for people from really all different walks and phases of life. So I really hope that you'll find the upcoming episodes um, thought-provoking, whatever your um, baseline level of knowledge about the refugee crisis is. We're going to have some really um, expert speakers in a very unique position to talk to us about their work. So that should be really great. The rest of the podcast series is all going to be looking at things that we can all do individually, small acts that will make big change, um, but also understanding and breaking down some of the more tricky aspects to the refugee crisis. Thank you for listening to Right to Refuge. For each episode, we have collated further reading resources, which you can find by visiting our website. There you can find everything podcast related and also how to get involved with solidarity if you are wanting to make some change. Please do subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a review as it helps other people find us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more.